Act 5. Fidelity. In the end, you are really alone, whatever you do. Marina Abramovich, Yugoslavian-born performance artist. Pleasure, a performance. I dance exotically in the center of a room, wearing a strap-on dildo and touching my breasts and my pubis. I run my hands up the inside of my thighs and masturbate the dildo until pretending to come to fruition. I push the dildo back behind my legs so the audience can no longer see it. I slowly walk into the audience and sit with them, looking at the spot where I have just performed as if I am waiting for the next performer. Then the baby's wings began to bloom. It was painful at first. As the hollow bones blossomed from her skin, they would prick and itch. It was hard to sit still or sleep at night. It was also hard to hide them from the turtle, but whenever he found them, he would tie the baby to the bed and force himself upon her, so she did her best to keep them tied down tightly behind her. In no time at all, though, her wings were full of blinding white feathers and strong. She began testing them in many midnight trips, mostly while dropping acid and mescaline. When the turtle could no longer deny her wings, even in the dark of the cave, he convinced her that they were ugly. No one else would want them. The baby was very easy to convince. The faint ghost of the memory of the before mother sometimes danced in her brain, but it wasn't enough to make her actually fly. Erickson's fifth stage is fidelity. Peers and role models are most significant. The psychosocial crisis is identity versus role confusion. The child asks, who am I? What can I be? Who am I? What can I be? She sleeps in pine needles. She sits at a table, rests her hand politely in her lap. When the child lifts both arms to be held, the mother burns her own hair with candles. When the mother lifts both arms to be held, the child sends a postcard from Rome and takes another lover. In her bed, she discusses the killing of rats by starvation, then blinding. She holds a dead rabbit in her arms and waits to hear the door click shut behind her. Once the screaming rage up the stairs, terrifying your daughter with claws and teeth bared, scrambling to destroy her little will, the husband told you he couldn't take it anymore. The anger bursting forth in molten waves, walking on eggshells around you, this is the way you would describe living with your own father walking over a surface that was constantly shifting, always cracking, never knowing when it would break and you would fall headfirst into his fists and lungs. Your husband actually spoke the words, I can't continue to live like this. And now all the early razor blade light of Manhattan is opening its windows, sweeping away the cigarette butts that litter the concrete and collect in the puddles of piss from some party the night before. You do not trust the eyes of the grocery boys who unload all the vegetable trucks and put out all the flowers as they promise you their love. And now all you want is the slender weight of your mother's hand against your forehead, the cold compress she'd place there in your fevers, the shh, sh shushing of her songs. You'll never hear that again. The way you allowed your family to disintegrate in your own hands. All your wandering has led you to the doors of the Museum of Modern Art 
and all the world around you is tittering about the performance artist on the first floor, and you join them, welcoming a distraction, seeking signs. Meanwhile, the baby could hear the cries of the mother with the brown and white flecked feathers, the mother that had nursed her and held her and sang to her and spread bandages over the wounds her husband caused, whimpering in pain, mewing through the forest that kept them apart, but she no longer recognized her cry as anything like her own, and vague memories of their beaks tearing her to pieces and their insults slung at her like knives kept her away. She could not help that foreign mother anymore. She had to learn to help herself. She pulled her long white feathers over her slick face and wished that distant foreigner's crying would stop. Her performances. Once during a snowstorm, Ramona and the man they called my father began fighting while he was driving a huge van with me and all of Ramona's children in the back. We were on our way to his mother's house for Thanksgiving dinner. I remember a line of at least five or six different kinds of pie on the floor in front of all of our lined up feet. He screamed at her and there was a screeching of tires. When the van stopped so suddenly, we all flew forward. Knees and elbows and heels all got ground into the pies and they were ruined. He told Ramona to get out of the van. He was just going to drop her off in the middle of nowhere and leave her there. He turned around and said that anybody who wanted to go with her should get out too. We all got out. He peeled off. We were all dressed up in dress shoes and tights and light coats, not our heavy outdoor play coats. We were freezing. We walked around some town we didn't even know, trying to find a phone, but I was never sure who Ramona thought she was going to call. She was so proud that we all got out of the car for her, and as she walked us through this piercing cold, holding our bare hands, she held her head so high and smiled despite the tears streaming down her face and ours. These kind of performances were routine. Sometimes they seemed a poor imitation of Marina's performances, and sometimes they seemed more important. On the other side of the forest, the old brown mother began to give up on her strange baby ever returning. One by one, all her gleaming children left her too. Her husband worked night and day on constructing the strings and sticks that would hold her up, despite her desperate desire to simply lie down and rest and cry. The theater he built for her enormous body took years to construct, and by the time he was finished, he was so bored by the sight of her, all he could do was hang her by the rafters so that he was free to sit preening and admiring his own feathers. The old brown mother's feathers began to fade and fall one by one. From time to time, her real children would visit and climb up and move her around and try to paste her feathers back to her raw body. But then someone would get angry and leave. From time to time, her barely lit soul glowed strong enough for her to move of her own accord, but these moments were rare and fleeting. Any desire she had ever had to find the strange baby she once thought would save her was gone. 
Any hope of helping her strange baby find her evaporated. She couldn't help anyone else when she couldn't even help herself. The baby, so far away and different now, would never know the despair the brown mother felt at this time. Mama. The daughter is the mother. Now, for me, love is the bleeding. Instead of shedding skin, the mother takes off her clothes. Star of your belly. And dances with a black hood over her head and face. It's the skin along your backbone. She dances until she collapses. Burns with cold. The audience. For a long time, I could not remember Marina or Ramona. I willed myself to forget them. I could not even remember the word mother. I performed for greedy audiences of men and some women. They came and went and touched my body and hurt me and sometimes made me feel pleasure. I had no idea where I was. To this day, I could not find this place if I wanted to. Eventually, the baby found the strength to crawl away from the turtle on broken webbed feet, her dusty feathers dragging behind her in the dirt. But at once she met up with a tall Scottish chameleon in a kilt, fed her scotch by the gallon until she let him slap her mouth and beat her with a belt during what he called sex. Then there was an octopus who trapped her in a blank cage, got her stoned, promised he loved her, and left her alone. Once she even woke from the noise of three wolves standing around her discussing which one would have her first. And there were others. Each one was wildly attracted to the enormous white wings that sprouted from her body. She modeled them for artists. She wrapped them around various creatures. She used them to attract every low species that slunk its belly along the ground. And though they wanted her wings, they found them inconvenient in the kitchen the next morning as they tried to maneuver around them to make coffee or scrambled eggs. And each one tried to convince the baby that she was like them, nothing special. She had no will to argue. She no longer remembered or even cared where her white feathers came from, who her long gangly neck and head came from, who her dark seeking eyes belonged to. She covered her body, her smooth head, her long svelte feathers in dust. And in those rare moments when her body was her own, she dragged herself over to the nearest gulch and cried over the muddy water. Marina Abramovich is my mother. She stands with a block of ice in her hands until she can no longer bear it. She teaches me about boundaries, about how to walk right through them, about how to respect their hard lines. Marina Abramovich is my mother. Ramona Marie is my mother. She stands with a block of ice in her hands until she can no longer bear it. Each summer, fresh red dahlias are planted all around our home, and the magnolia trees bloom against our open windows. All we would need to do is reach out and touch them. I wear them in my hair like Billie Holiday. She teaches me about boundaries. She fills the house with her voice and her busy thoughts about art and the body. We take turns bouncing off the walls and laughing. I help her carry her props and field all the phone calls for interviews. They ask me who I think I am. I'm her daughter, I say. 
about how to walk right through them. Every night we burn candles on the patio and dance together. We talk about what I want to do with my life. I sew a dress that keeps us close to one another, and I wear that dress every single day. When she lays herself down in the center of a burning star, I lie right next to her. About how to respect their hard lines. Mama, the daughter is the mother. Love is a kilo of honey mixed with wine in the sound. She is not aware that she is birthing a baby. The baby is just a thought in the mother's head. The baby is the idea the mother has of herself. Always the sound of whipping your naked body. The mother makes herself again and again in this baby, but she does not see the baby as separate from herself. Until you no longer feel any pain. The baby is nothing special. The baby is nothing new. Even when a weight the mother has carried around inside of her. The blade of 20 knives. Since she was a little girl. Run your fingers through. The baby is this weight, this well that has pooled inside the mother's heart as it hemorrhaged heartache. And the blood stains the page. The mother has sculpted the baby out of her heartache, even without knowing. In repetitions. Early one morning, the baby stumbled through the reeds of the pond and left all those slithering creatures to themselves. In the cool of the morning water, a great white bird descended next to her and smiled. She felt a happiness so foreign, she feared it. And though she did not pull away when he spread his enormous white wing over her, she was sure he could not be trusted. Still, he did not frighten her. He pointed to the baby bird swimming with their parents and said he was ready. She was not ready, but she wanted to be for him. The husband. I married. I didn't want to. But we had a baby and a home, and it seemed like the logical thing to do. I tried my best to be a good mother, but I never had any training in that area. I only learned from Ramona how to pretend to be happy despite wanting to die and to feed the people I love until they are ready to burst and to hate myself. I only learned from Marina to belong to myself and to not be afraid and these turned out to be the best lessons of all. While I was trying to make sense of who I was supposed to be, I lost sight of the fact that husbands are autonomous creatures too, complete with their own needs. I could not stop the rage from pouring out of me. I terrorized my child with screaming. I punished my husband for crimes he didn't commit with bitter frigidity. Eventually, he packed all of his things, got a house on the other side of town, and left me alone in our home, even though I begged him not to. The baby swelled, ate chocolate fudge ice cream by the bucket, and finally became a mother. But when the baby came forth, she nipped it with her beak, flinging it back upon the great white bird. She did not know what a real mother would do. Marina Abramovich is my mother. She hangs upside down as a bat and speaks words about being pregnant and happy. She teaches me I am wanted. She teaches me all anyone wants is gently, gently. Marina Abramovich is my mother. Ramona Marie is my mother. 
She hangs upside down as a bat and speaks words about being pregnant and happy. She wants us both to live a very long time. To this end, we frequently climb trees and ride our bicycles everywhere. While we ride, we talk about stars and the importance of skin. When we get home, we spend hours applying lotion. We open all of our windows and doors to invite passers-by to watch in a ritual performance. She teaches me I am wanted. We bike all the way to Mexico for the Day of the Dead. We walk for hours among the freshly scrubbed tombs and all the ghosts come out to welcome us. We dance with them and know that even after living a very long time, one day we will have our own tombs scrubbed and that will be okay. She teaches me all anyone wants is gently, gently. The baby began burrowing her head and neck deep into the mud of the pond, while the baby cried through the day and night. The great white bird spoke softly to her and asked if she could possibly help him help the child. She did not know how. When she tried, she only ended up cutting the child in her wild beak or blinding it with her flailing wings. Eventually, the great white bird took the child up in his wide wings and went away. At first the baby was relieved, then night came, and she did not think anything in this world could make her feel more lonely. The Clam Chowder While visiting Ramona once, the man they called my father gave my three-year-old child an old yogurt that immediately made her sick. We had just started out on a car trip to get Ramona and the man they called my father some clam chowder from one of their favorite restaurants, an hour away from their home. My daughter was suddenly throwing up all over herself and passing out in the back seat. She was ice cold and completely disoriented. I begged them to take her to the hospital. The man they called my father insisted that he had to get his clam chowder and that my daughter would be fine. I could not believe that Ramona would not fight him at all. I was only 10 years old again. I just did what they told me to do. I froze in this place. We drove all the way to this restaurant, then all the way back to their home, where my child slept hard for almost 30 hours, throwing up intermittently. After that, I did not speak to Ramona or the man they called my father for three years before Ramona suddenly died. And by this time, I had forgotten I ever had Marina at all. Marina Abramovich is my mother. She lies underneath a skeleton that moves and breathes with her moving and breathing. She teaches me that death is already in me, has already moved through me. Don't fear it, she says. Don't try to avoid it, she says. Marina Abramovich is my mother. Ramona Marie is my mother. She lies underneath a skeleton that moves and breathes with her moving and breathing. She takes me to the Met. We stand in front of the Renoir and laugh until we cry. She teaches me that death is already in me, has already moved through me. Don't fear it, she says. Don't try to avoid it, she says. Without her child, the baby shuffled on through the world as lost and forlorn as she ever was, until one day she stumbled upon a familiar place in a green landscape with cool air all around 
and she saw them. In the middle of this forest that was once the baby's adopted home, the other real children folded their wings in front of them and stared down at her with their tiny, narrow eyes, but with a softness in their faces she had never seen, and that's when they separated and moved to either side of the baby. The baby remembered the mother in a moment and searched frantically for her soft brown face so that she could hold it to her and beg this mother's forgiveness. But the only thing she found on the dark, damp forest floor was the thoroughly vacant body of a female duck, limp and broken and dead. And something sharp broke open inside the baby's heart and spread painful heat through her arms, down her legs, into her head, so that she could no longer breathe or move. She threw her grimy white body over this crumpled mother and cried, then lifted her enormous orange beak and cried and cried, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The phone call. I happened to be on the phone with one of the girls they called my niece as she drove past Ramona's home one day. She laughed that there was another ambulance at the house. Ramona and her husband were always falling ill at opportune times to cause more family drama, to get attention if it was on someone else at the moment. We joked that we hoped he had finally died. We got off the phone and I called a good friend to tell her that I thought I might need to call Ramona and ask her to forgive me for not speaking to her for three years. Strangely, I missed Ramona, despite what I would call her betrayals. Then, just moments later, the girl they called my niece called back, crying. It's grandma, she choked. She's dead. After I was sure I understood what she meant, I remember dropping the phone and screaming what did I do? Over and over. But that's all I can remember. At the funeral, a thousand regrets were born in her head and came out through her mouth. For each, a small egg on her tongue. For each, another small brown bird gained wings and flew through the church where the mother lay dead to the top of the stained glass cross above the altar tomb. They roosted there and stared back at the baby, as if to say, now you've lost them both. Now you have no mother. Now you will never have any mother ever again. She gathered up all those birds before she left and she caged them. She gutted them and tried to paste all their feathers over her own ugly white ones. She would make her body obey her wish to belong to this dead mother but these false feathers were still not enough to make her fly. This concludes Act 5. I'd like to thank Trisha O'Connor, Barb Handley-Miller, Mark Brown, Shay Davis, Kristen Cornelius, Aralyn Ross, Danielle Peterson, Crystal Starkey, Donna Giuliani, and Laura Dahl, as well as Tim Kenyon, for allowing me to borrow their voices for this episode of Marina Abramovich is my mother. Please visit marinaabramovichismymother.weebly.com for more information about Marina Abramovich is my mother and its author, Jodi Ann Stevenson. 
Please visit the author's Patreon page to learn more about her projects and how you can support her work at patreon.com slash Stevenson. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash J-O-D-I-A-N-N-S-T-E-V-E-N-S-O-N. Thanks for listening.